Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best third fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surly. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Boy, they certainly do. Daiwa Reels. Don't forget that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is produced by Brad Nearman of Berserk Productions down in Lando Lakes, Florida. Hi, Brad. How you doing? I hope all is going well. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Dave Kranz is going to interview professional angler James Williams from BassSchools.com. That's Bass-Schools.com. James Williams. I get to talk with a young gun who is about the hottest stick in professional bass fishing. He is Mr. Dakota E. Bear, and he is in the middle of a tournament. Uh, his group in Major League Fishing has an off day today, and he kindly joins us for a great, great interview. Looking forward to talking to Dakota Ebert. But first, let me swing it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring out Dan Johnston. Take it away, Dave. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix. They always bring us Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. Excellent. So... We're coming into spring here. I thought the topic we could talk about today, uh, surge baits, whether that's for bass or crappies or panfish or even walleyes, but uh, there, there's uh, a lot of things you can talk about on surge baits, aren't there? Yeah, I'm glad you went there in terms of other species because it's certainly, certainly much more than bass. And I, I think that what's cool about the timing of this topic is the fact that in the, in the early that transition, you know, from we're fish winter into the early spring, right after ice out, um, the fish are still relatively schooled up, right? So it's important to get a bite, and and obviously everybody thinks that's common sense. But what I mean by that specifically is sometimes that time of year it's important to cover a lot of water. Uh, with a bait where you can you can cover a lot of water with to try to get that bite, knowing that they're still relatively schooled up. So if you find them on a primary point or a secondary point or a creek channel swing or a shallow flat close to deep water or whatever that is, uh, it can tell you a lot because there's probably more than one there. Now, obviously, as we get into more of the spawning season, that whole pattern changes, but it's a really good topic, and there's a lot of baits to cover it, and to your point, to all species. Yeah, and they are schooled up tight this time of year and uh, coming into spring, and uh, it, you're right. Once you find them, you can normally uh, you know, catch quite a few of them, but, but finding them sometimes isn't the easiest thing. Uh, now... Uh, Pick whichever one you want, panfish, bass. What Do you have a go-to search bait for, for each of those? Uh, well, yeah, I've got a few. Uh, yeah, a jerk bait, obviously, you can cover a lot of water with. Bladed mm -hmm. jig has become, I would say, arguably my number one now, especially when the water's cold, because there's so many ways you can fish the thing. I mean, Dave, we're at the point where we're 
almost flipping it nowadays and fishing it like a jig and getting it to throttle its way up and let it fall in slack and or you can throw it and slow roll it um you can fish it just a little faster than a football jig with the right blade or you can just cover water and chunk and wind it so it's great to cover water they bite it really good in cold water there's all kinds of different trailers we put we can put on them as the season progresses so that's turning into a spinner bait for years and years used to be that for me, and I've changed a little bit there. But and, there, and there's certainly others too. On a crankbait's another really good one, especially like a flat side, you know, something up by good in cold water. And then on the crappie side, jerk bait, believe it or not, has become really good, uh, especially a little bit smaller one, you know, specifically like the Mega Bass 110 Junior. Um, and they make a couple different depths in that now uh, for crappie. Uh, that they just bite the fire out of. And a lot of times you can get a bite on that. You'll find the school, then you can forward face them and throw to them or get over them and go straight down or whatever. But it's a great way to find them because you just cover a ton of water with it. Excellent. You you, you struck up a, a, a light bulb over my head on your bladed uh, jig on the trailer when you pitch it or flip it. Are you using a different trailer than when you're swimming? Yeah, and that's what I do, actually. When I'm flipping that thing, and I'm using much more, I'm imitating a bluegill or a crayfish a lot more, so it has a lot more appendages to it. I want the fall rate to be affected. I want the bait, and this is really a lot harder to explain than it is to see, but the shad types, like the, the, the you know, Z-Man Razor Shad or the mm-hmm. Yamamoto Zeko or things, that they come through the water so much cleaner, um, which is a good thing for moving it. But the appendage type, type baits, anything with resistance to it fights that as it comes off the bottom, which is a good thing because it makes a lot more commotion. Fall rate's a little bit different. Um, and I've had better luck when I'm, believe it or not, a lot of people think, you know, flipping a bladed jig is crazy, but there's a lot of people doing it. But if you match the right trailer with that, it can really, it can really help them bite it. I mean, I get a lot more bites with the appendage type bait, um, even like a, uh, um, uh, Strike King Menace. It doesn't have a lot of appendages on mm-hmm. it, but it's got just enough tail kick to it. Um, and in that case, I'll actually rig it sideways and not straight up and down because um, I want it to, you know, come off the bottom with tails kicking and then it kicks on the fall too. So it's just really cool. Excellent. Excellent. And then you said about the uh, uh, a jerk bait for crappies. Now, I think what people have to remember is look at the size of the mouth on a 10-inch crappie or 11-inch crappie. It's pretty good size. So uh, don't think that they're not going to hit a three or four-inch minnow, which is, like you said, using a smaller size bait, two and three quarter, three and a quarter. That's a perfect bait for them, isn't it? Well, they bite the big one too. We're catching six to eight inch crappies in the full size 110. Yeah. So don't think that, granted, they come in with a face full of it. <laughs> they, they don't usually get it like a bass does, but they're trying to get it. And we're not, I'm not talking about a little rappel countdown or something dinky. I'm talking about a bait that's probably close to five inches long. Yeah. And they, they bite it really good all over the country. It's a great way to find them. Um, the thing about crappies, though, which is really important is they don't want a super fast cadence on that thing. And they want it, they want it sitting there so they can come up to eat it. So a lot of times we're intentionally getting a jerk bait, whether we um, stick weighted or not to get two, three feet above them at its max depth. I don't want to be right in them. Um, for a lot of reasons i for some reason the school gets weird when you put it in them but secondly you can a lot of times pick out those bigger fish by stopping it above them but you can cover so we'll throw it out wind it to depth immediately don't start jerking it right away i'll throw it out wind it to depth and then it's like stick stick stop for two three four seconds and then do it again and these are aren't real aggressive 
uh, rod strokes either. It's just more crappies are notorious. They don't like a ton of action on things. They're, you know, that's why a lot of the jig retrieves we use with a crappie when we're throwing to them is just literally a steady reel. There's not a lot of up and down stroking it like we do for walleye or a bass when we're trying to get them to bite it on a reaction strike. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, we used to use the spinnerbait, spinnerbait, spinnerbait. Is there still some applications that the spinnerbait is your choice for a search bait? Oh, I promise you there's listeners out there going, dude, you are crazy. (laughs) To talk to Jason Christie, and he knows probably a little bit more about it than Dan Johnston (laughs) does, just saying. So, yes, of course. I mean, the spinnerbait, whether it's a big Colorado blade Mm -hmm. or, you know, big double uh, uh, willows with alternate colors to them, something they can see. Uh, absolutely. And it'll always be the case, uh, without a doubt. All I'm saying is I'm always trying to do something a little bit different and not to say there aren't a ton of people throwing a blade of jig now, probably as much or more than a spinnerbait, but it's just something I, I just changed it a little bit. And the reason why I did that is I can literally let that blade of jig go to the bottom and kill it and do nothing and pop it off the bottom and get them to bite it and better than I can a spinnerbait doing that. Yep, yep, and I get that, and and uh, uh, a lot of times I I used to do a, a spinner bait, but I would do it in the water that wasn't as clear. I and I think the bladed jig you can use in all applications, from dirty water to crystal clear water, and and for whatever reasons it it works better than a spinner bait. But in dirty conditions, I still will pick it up, or not really clear, less than a foot visibility, I still will pick it up and add a trailer to it to add some bulk so I can slow it down or, you know, or speed it up or flutter it. But, but yeah, there's, there's so many different baits out there. Uh, how about a spinner bait on the crappies? Do, have you ever used a smaller spinner bait for crappie searching? I have not, but I use an underspin all the time, specifically the Roadrunner, all yep. the time. And, and another thing we'll do is we'll take like a 2.8 or even smaller tie tech with an underspin rig on that or just naked with just the tail that could be turning into one of the all-time favorite surge baits for all series really out there on the planet is just that swim bait because you can fish it in different speeds different water columns um you know the the, ro- the old classic horsehead roadrunner with a little blade under it with a marabou jig uh, is so lethal for crappies. And to your point, though, if I'm surge fishing and I'm literally going down the bank, not even really looking at my graph, I'm, I'm trolling motors up that high trying to find them. And bass, too. I generally want to throw, to your point, something they can see. So I'll use a brighter color because, again, I'm trying to get a bite, whether I'm throwing it to wood or flats or rocks or in wind or shallow or whatever, because you're trying to get that bite because knowing, you know, we're coming into a time of year where they're still still pretty schooled up. So we're not, we're not saying that we're fishing this thing super fast. Now, rattle trap's an exception. Why in the world? I don't know. But they bite that thing in a fast cadence in real cold water. But there's a lot of baits they won't. you know. But it still doesn't mean you can't cover a lot of water with a bait like that. Um, definitely don't forget all listeners out there. Put us Get a spinning rod, braid to fluoro or braid to mono, and put that just a shad color any there's a million varieties out there on the market the mega bass spark shad is one of my favorites the the tie tech obviously everybody's throwing um and just start throwing the thing because there's really nothing in the lake that doesn't eat that no absolutely not and and your point about the underspin you know being in a tackle environment like i am i still feel like it's one of the least used baits that works uh we sell them, but we don't sell them like we should. There's, uh, it seems like it doesn't get the the love that it should because it does work. So any of you out there that haven't thrown an underspin, uh, do so. Figure it out. 
Big ones, little ones, medium-sized ones, Dan and I will both tell you that they work. And if they're not being used as much as they should, um, you probably have a great opportunity to uh, you know, catch some fish in an area that, that you're at. And Dan, as always, great information. Um, love having you on and look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. This segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say that every guest I get to interview on this segment has a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly does. He is the owner and founder and CEO of BassSchools.com, as well as several other things that we'll hear about. Welcome to the program, James Williams. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love what you guys do. Awesome. And teaching people how to fish, especially high school and collegiate people, is uh, one of the things you do. And uh, how great is that? It's awesome. It's very rewarding. And so, yeah, you know, we've been doing this now. We've, we've changed the, the format of, of what we do. And we really, we really do try to cater to the, the young anglers uh, that are out there that are coming up through the junior high ranks and high school ranks and then onto the collegiate level. Basically, we're looking for those anglers that are looking to improve their skills so that they can go to the next level. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's been very rewarding, but it's not just for, it's not just for kids. I worked with, uh, you know, retirement home communities and, and their residents and, you know, just anybody that, that wants to, to get better at fishing or, or make them you know, make more time, um, to get out there and, and do what we all love to do. Yeah, and that's a good thing, and I think the instructional part of it is is good because if they're successful at it, if uh, just going for fun or going for uh, competition, they're going to like it more and they're going to do it more. It makes it easier for them to continue. 
Absolutely. So, and that, and that's what we've seen, you know, the, the, even at the junior high level, but especially at the high school level, the, the fact that, that, that it has grown to be such, it, it's, it is a mainstream uh, event now for, for high schools uh, all across the country to, to have a fishing team and, and put a team on the water. And, you know, those are the kids we're looking to reach. There's a lot of kids that they want to go and they want to fish at the next level. There's, uh, you know, there's only so many coaches that can go around. Some of the parents, you know, they're, they're like, well, you know, my son's got this interest in fishing, but I really don't know where to get them started. And, and that's where we kind of take over. And, uh, and we help them, you know, achieve those skills both on and off the water to make them a more balanced, all-around marketable angler. Yeah, and I think that's with every sport uh, in high school and college and junior high. The parents may not have the knowledge, but the the student has the interest in it. These young men and women that want to want to learn to fish uh, have an opportunity, or the parents have a, uh, an opportunity to get them some help. And that's where you you uh, come in, uh, involved here. And tell us a little bit how somebody would uh, get their their students into your program. So it's really easy. We're, we're discoverable through so many different platforms, you know, in today's age with social media, uh, you know, we're represented on all the major platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, they can, students can go or parents can go directly to our website, which is www.bass-schools.com. Um, or they can email me directly at it's bass schools, which is B A S S. C-H-O-O-L-S at gmail.com or they can really, they can reach out to, you know, through our social media contacts through Instagram or Facebook. Excellent. Excellent. And t- walk me through a, a typical training session. I, I, I would imagine nothing is typical depending on the amount of people you have. Uh, you know, what, what, what is it involved? What, where do you, and, or do you pre-screen these kids also to find out what their level is? So, I, and I do a little bit of that. When we make contact, when when we have our initial discussion, I explain the program and exactly how I'll, I'll do it to you, uh, which is, you know, we start out with a phone call. You know, what are your, what are your goals? What are you trying to work on? Um, and, and so we do a, a rough screen uh, in that manner. And basically at that point, when I meet the student uh, at the at the boat ramp, whether it's one or, or two students, and uh, I've had coaches tag along and, and kind of see what we're teaching so that they're able to take that back home with them and reinforce that. Um, so we'll meet at the boat ramp. Uh, we'll go over kind of what the plan is for the day. Um, and uh, I kind of pick their brains a little bit. So we'll have our day on the water or multiple days on the water. And every session starts with, depending on the length of time that I have to work with a student, is a two to four hour evaluation session. And in that session, we evaluate many different things, many aspects of the sport, uh, from on the water skills to, you know, what's your social media content look like to, uh, you know, what are, what products are, are you a fan of? Uh, is there a list of companies that you would like to work with? So we, we set some goals uh, and get an idea of what those those student angler goals are, and uh, so at the, at the end of the day, what they will get is they will get the instruction, they will get a customized, uh, if you will, a um, uh, I'm sorry, I, I drew a blank here, but uh, they'll they'll get their their customized evaluation is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And uh, so the customized evaluation, if they never come back to another class. 
they get a snapshot in time of where they are exactly at that moment. And that's something that they can take home with them. And if they know that they need to work on their casting skills, they, that evaluation really helps them go back and, and see how they're, they're coming along in their journey to be a better angler. Um, and then at the end of the session, uh, depending on what their interest is in, if, if we've got, you know, a, a, a team or a student angler that is really interested in fishing deep, we'll do a half hour Zoom call or FaceTime call with somebody like Jason Lambert, if, if they're, you know, they want to learn more about ledge fishing, uh, if they want to learn more about a wacky rig, we will do something with David Dudley. I've got a cadre of about 10 to 12 tour level pros that are actively involved in the learning process and reinforcing what we do on the water with them uh, in their in their 30 minute to hour Zoom or FaceTime call. Yeah, that's excellent. And I like the idea of them getting a report card that they can go and figure out where they're at and, and know what they need to work on. And if you're not A-level at everything nowadays, you, you need to work on it because the competition seems to get uh, better and better every year. And there's kids coming out of college that, that are, I didn't start tournament bass fishing until I was in my 30s. These kids are winning a lot of money by the time they hit 30 years old. Well, yeah, and if you look at some of the, the kids that are, are popping up on the scene nationally, you've got one right here in, uh, from Illinois. You've got Trey McKinney, which the kid's 18 years old. And um, depending on the route he goes, that kid, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna break records uh, no matter what tour he fishes, uh, and which is amazing at, at 18. Now, I started out young, too. I, was, I got involved in the, in the first bass club that I was in when I was 15, um, and then started fishing, which was the old Red Man series, in when I was 16. So mm-hmm. I was, I was, but I was a, I was a, a unicorn at that point because there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, kids that were my age that were out there doing what I was doing. And luckily, I fell in with with the right crowd and and had some amazing mentors in my own career over the years. And which, you know, this is this is a, a chance to give back. This is a chance to really. Uh, make a difference, you know, even if it's one angler or two anglers at a time, you're, you're making a difference in, in their fishing career. And, you know, I've, I've got an 18 year old son myself who's, who's fished all through high school. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's been very rewarding to work with my own son, but as he's gotten older, I, I find that it's, it's, it's great to work with, you know, students all over. And, and it's, it's also, it's something that, we as instructors and, and people that, that help these kids, we learn stuff too. We learn stuff about ourselves. Um, you know, I've been on this uh, this journey the last couple of years um, to to make the sport better. And you know, I see I see the memes out there, and I see the stuff on social media that some guys post. And you know, I want to I want to change kind of what the direction that our sports headed in. Sometimes I don't think it's in a great direction. Uh, but, you know, because, you know, you've got the memes that says, you know, we're all friends and until they start calling boat numbers, <laughs> you know, I don't really agree with that. I, I feel like that we need to we need to do a better job at cheering for each other. Uh, or I see, you know, somebody that's that's dogging on the guy that is posting that he's on, you know, a pro staff for a bait company and he's getting a discount. You know, we got to rem- we got to remember that we all have to start somewhere. And I don't know exactly what that's telling our younger generation that, you know, they should be afraid to be on a pro staff or be proud of company that they're affiliated with because they're getting a discount. 
You know, some people uh, enjoy being around the sport and being around the people that make up our sport. And a discount is 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 perfectly uh, a perfectly good payment for those guys. So I think we need to do better as an angling community about maybe not you know being so hard on each other uh, and, and really enjoying what this sport's all about. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I think that is is uh, good advice, and I think uh, uh, you said it earlier. Uh, finding out what companies these kids want to represent, and I have always said, pick the ones you have a passion for, pick the ones you're familiar with. It is about selling product for these companies, and it is a business, and and all good information. Give us give us the information again on how they get a hold of you, um, so that we can uh, make sure that they find you. Sure. I, if, if- if they look up Bass Class or Bass Lab on Facebook, they, that can find us. And then we also have our website, and I'll give you that again. And it's www.bass-schools.com. Uh, and then, again, our email is bassschools at gmail.com. Uh, and so anyone that wants to reach out, anyone that wants to find out more about the program, we're always looking for uh, advisors, uh, you know, people that are that share our passion for you know continuing this education uh, for these young anglers. And so, if anybody's got interest in that, they can reach out uh, that way too. Excellent. Thanks, James. We appreciate your time, and I'm sure we'll talk to you in the future. Very good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. That was James Williams, owner, founder, CEO of VastSchools.com. I am Dave Kranz, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta Outdoors. From bluegill to bluefin, Calcutta Outdoors has the innovative outdoor recreational brands that consumers are looking for. We offer a wide range of trusted products, from fishing rods, combos, and tackle to coolers, drinkware, outdoor apparel, and marine accessories. Calcutta Outdoors. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV, The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley, and I'm here with the hottest stick in professional bass fishing. Oh, that's a hard uh, that's a hard assessment to make because there's a lot of good fishermen out there, but this guy is really on a roll. We've had him on not that long ago, and he just continues to move forward and keep on winning. Please welcome Mr. Dakota Eber. Hey, Dakota, how are you? 
Good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, always a pleasure. Uh, do you have any nicknames? Oh, I've been called a few things, but mainly just Dakota. <laughs> okay, actually, yeah, I, those th- few things you've been called. Thanks for uh, thanks for not mentioning some of them, because we know you fishermen can get a little salty with your language on occasion. But no. I, I'm <laughs> I'm looking at this. We had a guy uh, won a uh, won a Bassmaster Elite recently. His name's Joey Sefuentes, and, and uh, they oh, yeah. they call him Cowboy. I, I think you ought to go one on one against Joey Sefuentes and see who the real cowboy is here. Uh, we could probably do that, but heck, I don't feel like there's really any need me or Joey getting all roughed up. It'll be all right. He can take <laughs> his title. Uh, I don't need to be cowboy. That's fine. But, you know, you are a real cowboy. You know, in a, in a past life, I, I, I uh, you know, really enjoyed the Western lifestyle and still do. Just unfortunately don't get, you know, very much an opportunity to do that anymore. So I wouldn't. At this moment, I ain't been very much cowboying in Dakota's life. It's uh, been mainly just fishing, and that's about it. But, you know, I look to uh, hopefully in the future be able to get back into it and maybe get to roping a little bit and uh, get me a couple horses and stuff and get back around that Western lifestyle. But for now, it's uh, it's all fishing. I'll tell you, that, that, that's great. And uh, obviously a lot less dangerous than, uh, than, than cowboy. And you were a rodeo bullfighter, and... Uh, uh, th- that bull riding is an incredible sport that is, uh, there, there's a ton of money in that. It's, it's hard to believe if you're not a fan of the, of the, if the listeners are not fans of the cowboy sports, they don't realize how big this is. Oh, it's a, it's a huge deal, man. And, you know, it's, uh, it's all about the, just the, the love of that lifestyle. It's a really unique lifestyle and it, it's, it's great to be able to, you know, work with livestock and, and, uh, I don't even, it, you get a sense of appreciation for, you know, ha- seeing things from start to finish and, and uh, you know, raising cattle and raising horses and training horses. There's just a sense of appreciation for that kind of stuff. It's it's an art, man, and it's a it's a unique thing. It's a unique lifestyle, and it's it's something that probably a lot of guys don't, don't realize, but the people that are a part of it, they know what they have, and it's a very special thing. Very good. Very good explanation. And a special thing is being able to fish for a living. It's a dream of a lot of people. Uh, most people don't get the opportunity to fish professionally or fish for a living. Uh, you you are without a doubt living a dream. When did that dream get established that you would uh, become a professional fisherman as a livelihood? You know that that's it's funny that you say that because it it is man it, it is a dream come true i'm very uh very thankful very blessed to be able to do what i'm doing and and i don't take a single day of it for granted you know but growing up as a kid you know uh i just always enjoyed the outdoors i enjoyed hunting and i enjoyed fishing i enjoyed working outside on the farm and ranch and and uh, helping out with friends and stuff and doing that kind of stuff i just enjoyed being outdoors and uh that's all i ever really kind of wanted to do i it was a distraction in school, and it was in a distraction in, in work. And when I graduated, uh, it was a distraction in college. You know, I just I'd always be thinking about being outdoors in some way, shape, or fashion. And and um, you know, I, it, it's crazy how things work out. You know, I was rodeoing a lot at the time, and I, I moved to to Texas for rodeo. And um, I happened to become friends with some guys on the college fishing team there, started fishing at the collegiate level, and it really just took off. And and that's where, 
you know, I guess the, the opportunities I, I realized that were in front of me to, to potentially have a living doing something I love to do were there. And, and I, I really tried to make the most of that. And, and, you know, here we are today, seven, eight years later. Where, where did you live before you moved to Texas? I grew up in South Louisiana, just outside of Baton Rouge. Okay. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. And, uh, uh, you consider you consider your Texas lakes your home lakes now? Well, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, we we just man, I just fished in little farm ponds and and rivers and streams and lakes around the house, and we didn't ha- we didn't ever go off on any big trips to Toledo Bend or Rayburn or or do any of that stuff. And we just, you know, we had a I had a really humble upbringing. We hunt and fished, and we did that. We ate what we caught and ate what we we killed, and you know, I mean, that was just just life for me as a kid you know I mean, but we didn't you know go on any big trips and, and i didn't have like a big lake that i fished out of a fancy bass boat growing up or anything like that i had a two-man uh bass pro shop pond prowler 10 foot long i hauled around on a on a, on a four by eight trailer with a three-wheeler i had a big red 250 and i i I put that little boat in just about every lake that I could drive that three-wheeler to from my house. And that was my home lake. So that's how I grew up fishing and learning how to fish. And it wasn't until I moved to Texas and started traveling, going, you know, around at the college level uh, that I started, you know, getting actually fish reservoirs and lakes and stuff like that. And, and then, you know, I moved to Sam Rayburn after I graduated from college and, and I, I learned so much there it was really like a training ground and still is today. And so that's why I consider it, you know, my home, my home life. I always look at the, uh, the high school and college levels that, uh, kids are fishing at today. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, the opportunities that are, that are available, but when did you, uh, you're, 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 uh, you're in a 10 foot pond prowler and now you're in uh, major league fishing, the top level of professional fishing. When did you make that jump from a pond prowler to a uh, to a bass boat? Because it to me it's amazing the kids that get involved in this they love fishing they're fishing high school and fishing in college man I'm gonna go further I'm gonna be a pro I'm gonna be a bass master a leader I'm gonna be a major league fishing professional and then the door slams because they can't afford a hundred thousand dollars for a boat or eighty five thousand dollars for a truck and entry fees and all of that. Uh, how did you make the jump from a pond prowler to where you're at today? Well, you know, that meant oh. something that I've Hang on one second. Hang on. Hang on. Stop. Where did that go? Okay, take it right from there. How did that happen? You know, that message is something that... Well, are we still echoing or something? Yeah. Start it, start it again. Go ahead. How did that happen? You know, that message is something that I'm very passionate about because there's a lot of misconception in the sport saying that, you know, you can't make it if you're not born with a golden spoon or you don't do this, you don't have that, you know. And and I I kind of broke that mold, and that's something I'm very thankful for, and it's something I, I feel very uh, led to share with others because I don't think that that's true. I think that, you know, the American dream out there exists, and it, it just a lot of people just aren't willing to work for it. And, and and make the sacrifices that are that are necessary to, to be successful in anything in, in life. It's not necessarily just bass fishing. It's it's any profession, whether it's you know um, being a carpenter or laying tile floors or you know working in a refinery or or being a cowboy or you know having a 
a podcast or a, a news, you know, broadcast or anything. You know, you have to have a good work ethic. You have to, um, you have to be willing to do what it takes and make those sacrifices. And for me, you know, it didn't. It's not an overnight success story. Uh, whenever I graduated from high school, I started fishing tournaments locally, just with friends around the the area there in Baton Rouge. And I realized very quickly that I was not in a position financially um, to, to really go any further than that. And it, it really discouraged me. It, it, and I quit fishing for a while, um, to be completely honest. But it really was, it was more of a perspective thing. And as I got a little older, a couple of years older, and I got into college, the, the opportunities came back around. I had a little bit different perspective on it. And that's the separation. All right. You know, where I where I started to where I am now. Um, you know, a lot of guys will. It's hard for me to say like, how does a kid do that? But right, because I don't walk in their shoes and they don't walk in mine. You're right. But my message is that it's possible to do whatever it is in life you want to do if you're willing to put your mind to it and willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to do it. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the important thing is, is just setting your mind, setting your, your goals, not letting anybody tell you that you can't do it and, and, and working for it. Dakota Ebear, that is one of the best answers I've ever heard. Absolutely excellent. I introduced you. I said, you're about the hottest stick in professional bass fishing. Does that bother you to hear people talk about you like that? You've worked hard to get where you're at and. When I say you're the hottest stick in bass fishing, maybe it sounds like you're you're a flash in the pan, which you certainly are not. Uh, does it bother you being called a hot stick? You know, I've heard that term a lot here lately, and you know, it's the thing that that you know, I just kind of honestly, I don't pay much mind to it because, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I just I'm not nowhere near where I want to be at in my career on the water. Uh, I want to get better every day. And, and I know there are guys out there. I look at some of my competitors, and I know how much further ahead they are than I am. And I know that from a humble perspective. I mean, you look at what Jacob Wheeler is accomplishing. That guy hasn't missed a top 10 cut in like five years. You know, so, I mean, people have just gotten kind of used to the fact that he's always up there. But that's where I set my bar at. You know, I look at guys like Kevin Van Dam and the careers that he's had over 33 years, this being his last year of competition at Major League Fishing. I look at what that guy's had, what kind of career he's had over 33 years. I've only been fishing professionally for five, and I've been very fortunate with a lot of success. But I look at guys like that, and that's where my bar is set. And I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm willing to admit to that but I'm working towards getting there every day. And that's all I can do is work each day and try to get a little bit better. And, 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 you know, time will, time will do its thing. You're on the cusp of a million dollars in career earnings after only five years. Uh, it's absolutely incredible what you've accomplished so far. Th did you ever think that uh, cracking that million dollar mark was something that was going to happen? And did you ever think it would happen this quickly? Man, you know, I mean, I, I was raised a very humble upbringing. So I watched my mom work three jobs and make ends meet. And I, my dad's hauled cattle and drove trucks and stuff for, since I was old enough, you know, since I was a little kid, as long as I can remember. You know, they work very hard for the things that they have. And, you know, a number like that is something that was only, uh, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even fathom 
million dollars in a lifetime growing up as a kid. You know, I mean, that was just for sure. And, and, and then now to, to be, you know, at that mark pretty much at 30 years old, um, is just kind of crazy, honestly. It, it's really, it really is, but it also, you know, it just shows the opportunities that are out there because if I can do it, I feel like other people can too, if they want to, you know, if they have the mindset to be successful and whatever it is they're doing. So it's crazy to think about that, man. It really is. And, and, uh, it, it's, uh, I don't know, almost surreal. I agree. I agree. We're with Dakota Ebear. This is Steve Surly. You're listening to uh, you're listening to We Fish ASA. I need to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to be on with one of the best bass fishermen on the tour right now. One of the nicest young men you ever had the opportunity to meet, and we'll be speaking a little bit more with Dakota Ebear when we return. Right after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. Uh, please remember that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to... Uh, ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional at any level, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. We're on with Dakota Ebear. Uh, won the first two events of the year. Yeah, two in a row. Uh, most people would be happy to win one in their career. Uh, he's got two under his belt this year and plenty more to go. You're in the middle of fishing right now. We're taping this interview on a Tuesday, and Major League Fishing does their uh, scheduling a little bit different. They, they At the beginning, they break the anglers down into two groups. Uh, group A fishes one day, then Group B fishes, then A. And when A is fit, you're in Group B, I believe, and uh, A, uh, you are off today. You fish again tomorrow. 
How, how does that affect you having a day off in the middle of fishing? You're all geared up for this tournament. You've been studying, reading on it, looking at maps. Uh, you pre-fish, you go out, you, you have a nice first day, and then we'll take a day off. We'll talk the day after tomorrow. Is that is that hard to handle? Well, you know, one thing I will say, uh, no disclaimer, is that, you know, if somebody is interested in doing this for a living and they get to this level they're, and they're fishing as many events as I'm fishing, which I highly encourage, there is no such thing as a day off. Um, so this is not an off day for me. Uh, it's a day off of competition, uh, but it's a, it's, I'm not allowed to be on the lake. So that's an opportunity for me to catch up on um, tackle, uh, working on equipment, uh, boat preparation. Uh, handling business at home. I'm in the middle of building a house there in Texas. So oh. I've been on the phone with contractors all day long, uh, try to catch up with family and stuff. And then somewhere through the mix of that, you got to try to find a little bit of time, downtime to kind of get your feet back underneath you. So there's really no such thing as an off day in professional bass fishing because it's a 365 day year, uh, a year job, but uh, it's one that I love and I'm not complaining in any way, shape or form. But that is the reality of kind of where we're at with this, you know. So the the format with Major League Fishing is unique. You know, like you said, we're in eight groups A and B um, throughout the qualifying rounds. I was in group A, so I competed on Saturday, and I competed yesterday on Monday. Group B competed on Sunday, and they're competing again on Tuesday today. And then the top 20 from each group will compete tomorrow in a semifinal knockout round, and then the top 10 will compete in championship round on Thursday. So um, it is a unique format, but it's actually really, you know, I didn't know how I was going to feel about that whenever I, you know, last year as a rookie, but I actually really came to like that because like I said, it's an opportunity for me to make sure all my equipment's in top uh, notch, make sure that my boat's good, uh, make sure all my business and everything else is tended to back at home. And then, hey, I even get to do an interview or two. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a good opportunity. Oh, just what you like doing is constant interviews with guys like me asking you the same questions over and over again. God, that's got to be so much fun. No, it's not bad, man. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. And, you know, you're you're well set up for this tournament after your, your second day on the water on uh, uh, this this event at uh, Lake Cherokee and Douglas down in, uh, in Tennessee. Uh, sponsored by the Jefferson County Department of Tourism. Uh, do you think you can pull off another win? Man, I would love to. You know, so this this event is actually even unique to us. About once a year, we'll do an event like this where we're actually on two different lakes. So the qualifying rounds were on Douglas Lake, and then the, the semifinal knockout round and the you know chip, excuse me the championship rounds will be on uh, Cherokee. So I actually have not even been on Cherokee since an FLW tour event that I fished in 2019. But knowing how it sets up, I'm really excited about it. Um, I spent a lot of time there in 2019, had a great event, um, but I have not been there since then. But, you know, I had never been to Douglas, and I knew that we were going to have an extremely tough event at Douglas because of the conditions. So I spent all of my practice time on Douglas. We had an opportunity to go to Cherokee. I did not take it. I used it to practice extra at Douglas because I had to get past that one first or Cherokee wasn't even going to be um, part of the equation. So I focused on practicing at Douglas. So I'm going into the tournament at Cherokee um, just, you know, blind in a sense. Uh, 
But I, I kind of have a good feeling of what I need to do to be successful there, and it, it, it should be a great lake. Should be a great, um, a great uh, finish to the term. Excellent, very, very good. And I think that was good planning on your part. But but it, it takes it takes a lot of guts to go and uh, fish new water blind. But uh, if anybody can pull it off, uh, it certainly can be done by Dakota Ebear. Uh, here's a question you might not get often: Do you have any superstitions as far as fishing goes? No, not really, man. Honestly, I, you know, maybe as a kid playing baseball and stuff, we were a little superstitious, but I, man, I don't really think too much in all that. I just think that preparation and it is, is a huge part of success. And so I just try to be as prepared as I can, uh, as far as being superstitious. No, not really. Not really. Well, I, I talked to you in person down at the Red Crest, uh, which was, uh, a great, great event held down in Lake Norman in Charlotte, North Carolina. You finished 13th, 13th out of the top anglers in the world. I'm sure you were disappointed, but I was darn proud of you being a young fella and looking at this list of people that finished ahead of you. You got nothing to be ashamed of. Man, you 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 did great and just another, uh, another great event to add to your career. But I think we're going to give you a, a superstition here because – I saw you after the the last day, and I showed you my phone. You and I were trying to book this interview for a couple of weeks, and I, I'm trying to stick it in there during the preparation for Redcrest, and, and we couldn't make it happen. You had so much happening, and I needed a guest, so I, I got Brian Thrift to, to step in and, uh, and and be the guest the week prior to Redcrest. And, of course, uh, he wins the Redcrest, and, and that appeared the week after again. And I showed you my phone. I said, remember, you, you, you couldn't do it? And I said, yeah. And I said, look who did it, Thrift. And he ended up winning. I think it was being on We Fish ASA that got him that Red Crest title. I'd like to think that it was good luck for him. Now, I just want to tell you, in the event that you win this tournament mm -hmm. that we're in the middle of right now on Douglas and Cherokee Lakes, when you're up there and they're handing you the check, I, I, I would kind of hope you'd say the reason I won this was because my good friend Steve Sarley had me on the We Fish ASA podcast. It's my new superstition. I will be on that show more often than he would care to have me. Look, I tell you what, man, if that's <laughs> all man, I'll gladly do these interviews any day, any time. Oh, my goodness. I, I think that is absolutely uh, hilarious. And boy, oh, boy, that's pretty damn cocky of me to say that but uh, i'm i'm just teasing with you and, and we're happy we're happy to have you on any any time at all uh and, and i got a funny feeling if you come and talk to me every time you win something we're going to be the best of friends in no time at all because you'll be on this show all the time man i hope so you know I, i'm i'm gonna just keep working and doing my thing and hopefully getting a little better every, every day and and we'll see where it goes man it's just been a it's been an awesome ride and uh very thankful for it like I said at the beginning of this, I don't take any of it for granted and uh, just enjoying every day that we got. We were talking, uh, some of us uh, industry people, not not professional fishermen, were talking about anglers uh, while we were at Redcrest. And, and the question came up and it was like, do fishermen improve? Uh, can can you become a better fisherman over time? Are you a better? Can you be a better fisherman today than you were last year? And a lot of people seem to think, you know, if if you're a guy that you know makes the cut, 
uh, you're a good fisherman. You probably make a lot of cuts. If you don't make the cuts, you're on that lower tier of anglers. You usually hang around there until you get tired of fishing. I don't know if I believe that. Do you think fishermen get better over time with practice, with education? Is it something you can improve on? I mean, I would say that I, I've improved tremendously over the years. I mean, you know, you look at when I first started fishing the Toyota Series events in 2017, it's been a gradual improvement since then. I mean, I didn't just start off lighting the world up. And, but, you know, there's a lot of factors and variables that go into that. Financially, um, there was a lot of financial stress on me at first, and I, I figured out a way to make it through that, thankfully. But, uh, you know, that, that was a huge hindrance in my performance at the time. I, I can look back and see that very clearly. So, you know, I think that there's so many different factors that go into a guy being successful on the water. Uh, on, when I mean factors, I mean factors on and off the water, at home, on the road. All of that goes into that. So you see guys rise to the top, and then you see some guys fall off, and then you see some guys that – that, that rise to the top and never fall off. And and those are the truly unique and special ones that are doing something different. Um, but I absolutely 100% that anglers can get better. I mean, we all have the ability to go out there and catch fish. We do it all the time, especially when we're just fishing for fun. You go out there and just catch the heck out of them. Tournament fishing is different because it's all about decision-making and dealing with the pressure and everything that goes along with it. And when I say the pressure, I mean it could be anything from the pressure of financial stress at home and or the, the pressure of just wanting to win, the pressure of, of all of it. And making those decisions during the day is really what separates most anglers. And so, you know, I think that learning to deal with that is, is very key. But there's so many variables. I mean, it, there's no way I, I think that anybody can realistically say that you can't get better as an angler, uh, honestly. I mean, I... I, I, I will never believe that because I know that I've seen myself get better every day. If you get better than you're fishing right now, man, whew, I, I'd hate to be fishing against you because you are so dang good right now. It's hard to believe uh, how successful you are. And to think that you could get better amazes me. And you know what? Everybody's starting out the same. Uh, yeah, you've you got a different sonar unit than the guy next to you, but they're all good. And, and I'm not going to say that a piece of equipment is winning tournaments. Everybody's equipped real well, and the advances in technology go up for everybody at the same time. The difference is in the fisherman himself. Well, without a doubt, you know, you look at, you know, you look at the competitors that I compete against, they're getting better every day. These kids that are in high school and that are in junior high that are already learning how to use electronics and all of those things, they're getting better every day. The competition is getting better every day. So if I don't get better, I will get left behind in this industry, and there is no doubt about that. The other thing about that is, is the electronics on this, and I, I, I have a little bit of different opinion on this. But the, I, I've seen it firsthand. I know I'm around these guys every day. I'm telling you right now that if you take the electronics out of our boats at the professional level, if you were to take the electronics out of all of our boats, all 80 of us that are competing this week, and we all competed without electronics, I firmly believe that for the most part, the leaderboard would stay the same. We would catch them different, but they would stay the same. Because if you don't have that innate ability, that sixth sense ability or whatever it is, the time on the water, the experience, 
to put yourself in the right place at the right time. I don't care what kind of electronics you have. You're not going to compete with the best in the world. That was one of the best answers I've ever heard, man. I will listen to that one again, and I certainly uh, recommend that anybody listen to everything that Dakota Ebear says because this guy understands fishing. He understands how to catch him. He understands the the mental aspect of the game. Uh, he's winning. He's winning on a regular basis, and he will be continuing to do this for a long, long time. Very proud to say we had him on the show for the second time. It won't be the last. Hey, Dakota Ebear, go out, knock him dead, and uh, hopefully we will talk again soon. Appreciate you having me, man. Thanks as always. Excellent. Dakota Ebear, one of the best in the business. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best art fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston from St. Croix, James Williams from bass-schools.com, bassschools.com, James Williams. Great interview. Keep up the good work, James. And as far as keeping up the good work goes, I, I can't wish any more luck to one of uh, the best young anglers around, a great speaker, great teacher. This guy's got it figured out real well, and man, oh man, he can fish. He is Dakota E. Bear. Yeah, rodeo cowboy turned fisherman. This guy is as cool as they come. I'd like to thank our sponsor, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. And Daiwa, we've got your bass covered. Boy, they sure do. Daiwa reels. Don't forget that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. Available everywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out at wefishasa.com. I'm Steve Sarley, my partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing! I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn-out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.